Hey there, video game fans. I'm Ben Bertoli. And this is Bush Dustin. And... <laughs> and I'm Memory Card. <laughs> that actually would be pretty funny if you said that. <laughs> and we are Memory Card. And we are Memory Card. <laughs> yes, that is the noise of the episode starting. <laughs> the other day i was on twitter um you know which is a normal occurrence for me yeah and um i was reading this tweet by this one person who like went to a party with mark zuckerberg mm -hmm. and he was like oh man what do i say to you know the one of the richest people in the world <laughs> and so he went up to mark zuckerberg and said hey mark what kind of media do you consume <laughs> and <laughs> zuckerberg just said oh i like to watch civilization let's plays because then i can get better at the game so that had me thinking ben what kind of media do you consume <laughs> like what's my favorite type to consume <laughs> no what do you just consume and and, and oh. take part of your soul gosh uh there's a, there's a lot mostly video games i would have to say you know this is a video mm -hmm. game podcast so that that seems like the appropriate response but i do like to read and uh you know, watch movies and TV shows and stuff. What about you, Push? What's your favorite media to consume? Um, I, I really like lo-fi. I, I listen to a lot of lo-fi just like <laughs> yeah. while working and like writing and stuff like that. And then um, besides that, I listen to a lot of Legal Eagle and uh, Quake uh, Law recently. Hmm. I'm really interested in like the legality of like streaming and the rights that content creators have on the internet and stuff like that. So I've been listening to a lot of those. Um, those fine folks and uh hearing what they have to say yeah we never really talk about like our favorite podcasts and other types of media that you consume yeah video games or otherwise i love the podcast it's literally called podcast but outside mm -hmm. it's about these two guys like set up like in the street and just talk to people very funny and then there's one called business wars that i've been listening to about like mattel and hasbro like the history mm -hmm. of the toy companies battling it out so yeah the toy wars some good media I love to consume it. I really, you know, I get into it. Yes. Keep consuming. Keep consuming. Directly into your brain and mouth and nose and ears. All, all of your orifices. <laughs> all of your orifices. Speaking of all of your orifices, or whatever, <laughs> today's episode will be dedicated to uh, one of my favorite video game developers of all time, Keita Takahashi. Mm. Keita Takahashi is probably best known for designing a quirky little game called uh, Karamari Damashi, which you guys might know. It's a, it's a game about pushing a ball of of junk and making it bigger by collecting more junk and then eventually making it into a star and sending it to outer space to make planets yeah hey i gotta jump in here and say you know it's not all junk there's like literal human beings in yeah. those balls push don't yes yeah, there, there's actual cats, human beings cats giraffes tax yeah, and like literally everything that's yeah. kind of the houses the fun part of the game is that everything eventually can be rolled up <laughs> yeah <laughs> And um, you're, you're also a really, really big fan of that game, right? Oh, yeah, big time. And I feel like that was a series that I got to, like, way late. Like, I knew it was kind of mm -hmm. quirky and crazy, but by the time I actually got into PlayStation 
you know, as a brand and the consoles and stuff, it was kind of like yep. past its prime. You know, I, I missed out on the PS2. The, the game for the PS3 I heard wasn't that great. And so it took me a while, but now I'm like hardcore. I think I have like three or four Katamari sweatshirts. I have a bag that looks like the main character's head and like some T-shirts and a beanie cap and a scarf. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm all I'm all in. You're all about the prince. I am. I'm all about rolling. Yep. Rolling dirty. So yeah, Keita Takahashi, uh, I think he's a, a very interesting dude. I've been following his uh, career for a while. Um, I became interested in him basically when I was in college. Like you, I didn't, I didn't like play Katamari Damashi when it first came out on the PlayStation 1. Mm-hmm. I, I got into it actually with uh, Katamari Forever on the PS3. And then uh, I got really, really into Nobi Nobi Boy, which I'll talk about later. And um, also the game that he worked on, Glitch. I don't think I know that one. I know Nobi Nobi Boy because it's all the stretchy, them stretchy, stretchy boys. Yeah. As just like an artist and just someone who creates uh, video games, I found him to be really interesting because he's kind of like an outsider in a lot of ways and he has like a really interesting take. So I hope to uh, uh, introduce you guys to his life and, and talk about some of the great things that he's done over the years. I feel like he's one that I kind of like idolize, but I really don't know his background very well. So let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Keita Takahashi was born on uh, June 13th, 1975 in Kitakyushu, Fukuoka. Uh, Kitakyushu is a area that's really known for the ramen in Japan. Oh. If you ever go there, uh, I think they have like a railroad uh, museum. What's it close to? Like what part of Japan is it in? It's a uh, Fukuoka uh, prefecture. I know, but like where is that in Japan for those of us who don't live there? Fukuoka is actually on the island Kyushu. So it's not on it's not on the main island. And that island is like in the southern part of Japan, right? Yeah, it's like very south. Okay. So yeah, growing up, Keita Takahashi, he actually didn't own a video game console. Instead, he would just go to his friend's house to play and like kind of bum off their their consoles. He's always always really enjoyed uh video games, especially like Namco and, and you know the classics and stuff like that, like Space Invaders. Right, arcade classics. Arcade classics, yeah. After graduating high school, he applied for art schools in Japan, but actually failed the entrance exam the first time. Hmm. A lot of times we'll see Keita Takahashi. He has a, has a lot of failures in his career, but he's always trying and trying and trying. And, and I think that really impacts like his outlook on life and, and video games and stuff like that. I feel like there's a lot of successful people out there or people that are perceived as successful that have a lot of failure in their life. You don't notice it because you're so focused on. Yeah, because their success overshadows it. Right, exactly. You're like, well, you had two or three hit games. Yeah. Like, you must be getting all sorts of money and always like having all your ideas cleared and stuff. Like, no, actually. <laughs> yeah. Now, eventually, he'd get into the Musashino Art University in Tokyo, and he would begin majoring in sculpting. At first, he really wanted to be an art designer, but he kind of felt like it was boring. And so he was like, oh, I actually want to like create like real physical things. And, and that's why he changed it to uh, sculpting. Makes sense. When he started uh, his major, he was really moved because um, he would see like his older classmates make these beautiful sculptures and then just throw them away. And so he felt like it was kind of a waste and that um, he would create art that would have a dual purpose. So that way it wouldn't be thrown away and that it would you know, persist in the world. Oh, I see. So that, that was one of his major uh, philosophies uh, 
from his schooling days was um, create art that is also useful. Hmm. And lasting. And lasting. So one of the first pieces that he made was actually a goat-shaped flower pot that drained water from its udders. (laughs) (laughs) So when he presented it to his classmates, he found that people really enjoyed the quirkiness and the humor of it than the actual function. So he decided to also just continue to make weird and quirky things. He made like a hippo-shaped tissue box cover. He had a table that transformed into a robot. (laughs) <laughs> that literally would take two people to to transform it into a, a robot like a co-op activity it seems like the lamest like transformer <laughs> it's like a it's like a little coffee table <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i know it's like oh he turned into a semi-truck and that guy turned into like a tyrannosaurus rex and then one guy just turns into a little coffee table I'm like oh yeah and there's like a little book on like quilting or something on top of it <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh but you know, as he continued throughout uh, his schooling, uh, he felt like sculpting wouldn't be appropriate for a full-time career. He also wanted people to be able to see his work. Because, like, with sculpting, like, you, you make something and it persists in a, in a space, right? And people have a hard time actually going and seeing it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's very limited. And so he, he began thinking about ways that he could create art that could be seen by everyone and enjoyed by everyone, and and still have this dual purpose. So that's when he started thinking about video games. Because uh, when he was a kid, he remembered that video games made him smile a lot. Right. And uh, he also made some motion uh, claymation during this time. So he was, like, tinkering with, like, other forms of art, not just sculpting. Yeah, I could see that. He seems like someone who could get, like, deep into uh, uh, stop-motion animation. You know, kind of like that Nightmare Before Christmas uh, aesthetic. Yeah. He's, again, he started thinking about video games because it's a worldwide business that people can play the games anywhere. And in 1999, when he was just 24 years old, he joined uh, Namco and, and worked as an artist. When he actually uh, first interviewed for Namco, he failed his interview. He was actually uh, rejected the first time. Uh, no, failure to the list. Yes. But the person that interviewed uh, Takahashi Mitsutoshi Ozaki, he felt like Keita had a lot of potential and actually kind of begged his superiors to um, add Takahashi to the team. So uh, Keita actually joined Namco. The first project that he worked on is, is called Action Drive, and it's kind of inspired by Sega's Crazy Taxi, but it had like spy elements. And it was actually there that he created some of the foundations that would later be used for Katamari Damashi. Yeah, I feel like I read that the characters kind of came together during that time or am i crazy yeah so um if you look at the prince's head it's like a hammer Mm. and the reason that it's a hammer is because he wanted like the the prince to be able to attack people with his head basically (laughs) like ram them with it yeah and like you know bash them you know yeah a hammer he created like the king the prince and the queen and the queen would be kidnapped and the king would send the prince to go and uh, rescue her in this action driver game. And the prince would, of course, use his hammer-shaped head to knock the other drivers out. <laughs> Unfortunately, a- action drive would be canceled. And Keita was just like working on other projects here and there for Namco. But he was having a hard time you know, just working on a game because it seems like anything that he touched didn't really come to fruition. So he was kind of like going between projects and stuff like that. At the time, Namco was using this idea that that was kind of started by uh, Konami, 
which uh, Konami, they, they had like a, like a college, like a training program that their employees could go through and like experiment and make prototype a lot of different uh, ideas and stuff like that. And that's like where like Beatmania and DDR came from. So it was very successful. Mm-hmm. So Namco was trying to emulate that and they created something called the Namco Digital Hollywood Game Laboratory. <laughs> that's quite the uh, prestigious name <laughs> or, something, or something like that <laughs> they were allowed to like just learn the basics or you know learn tools to like improve their own uh, ability at their job keita he he was like i really want to use these characters that i created for action drive and that's when he went to the person who hired him ozaki son and ozaki uh was like hey i really like these concepts maybe you can combine your talent with the Namco Digital Hollywood Game Laboratory, collaborate together to make this game. Because um, whenever, when Keita was trying to get it approved within Namco, it wasn't being approved. Mm -hmm. Because he didn't have any uh, actual game design experience. So he ended up using the Namco Digital Hollywood Game Laboratory to uh, help him build this game. At the time, Namco was doing a lot of uh, layoffs. And so he was able to convince some people, some mechanical engineers at uh, Namco to actually help him out. Oh, I see. Because it was like either they get fired or they help with this project. It's like, hey, if you guys want to have a job, you better help me this weird game. Yeah. Between him and that group of uh, artists and a couple of uh, engineers, they're able to build a prototype. And eventually they are able to um, get it greenlit. Now, the actual prototype was uh, made for the GameCube. Oh, really? Yeah, but uh, he was really adamant about using the, um, the PlayStation from the get-go. But uh, because the GameCube was an easier platform to develop the prototype, they ended up making the original prototype on the GameCube. Man, I wonder if that still exists anywhere. Oh, yeah, it's, pr- it's somewhere, I'm sure. That'd be worth some serious, some serious cash. Yeah. Did it have anything to do with the fact that the PlayStation had the dual uh, sticks at that time and the, the GameCube didn't? That they switched it over, I mean? It was mainly the sticks. Uh, okay. I think Keita really, really liked the sticks. And you would see him reuse that in Nobi Nobi Boy. I think the sticks were the main, the main stick in point. <laughs> but with the, uh, with the prototype, he noticed some issues. Um, at first, he, he had an interactive mu- music system where the music would be very basic, but then as the Katamari grows, it would get, like, more intricate. Have you ever played um, the new Donk City stage in um, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate? Yes. So, like, when you touch a certain musician in that stage, it adds that instrument to the track if you're, uh, if you're playing with the Odyssey music. Oh, I see. So that's how it would go at first. But then it didn't really sound that well, like, during the prototype stage. Like, you know, you have a little ball... Mm-hmm. sometimes it would crash and you would lose some of the katamari and, and then the, the sound would lose some of its functionality and it wasn't really good yeah, it wasn't really like jiving with the whole rolling up things concept yeah that idea was scrapped and then actually uh it wasn't really developed in-house for namco they ended up sending it to a place called digital hollywood to uh, actually uh, develop the game they spent about a year and a half in all to, to make Katamari Damashi, the first version, eight months of that was just prototyping and testing. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I feel like you'd have to make like a ridiculous amount of items. You know what I mean? Like those individual yeah. things, they have to be able to be like picked up and stuck together. And, mm-hmm. and that's where the, the artist team from the college really helped. 
Oh, yeah. I can imagine. Because they were making all those assets and everything. That sound means that we're putting this episode on pause for just a moment so we can briefly explain how you can support Memory Card. If you enjoy our content, you can show your support by leaving positive reviews on your podcasting service of choice. Four or five stars and a few kind words go a long way when it comes to convincing others to give the show a listen, so please do so if you find the time. Spreading the word of Memory Card is very helpful. If you know anyone who's into gaming or history or both, then maybe you should consider sharing Memory Card with them or anyone that you find anywhere. Every season, we strive to reach a wider and wider audience, and you can help. If you're feeling extra supportive, you can head over to patreon.com memcard. Every single one of our patrons gets access to early and ad-free episodes. Higher tiers include bonus episodes, shoutouts, and more. We certainly hope you'll check it out and consider becoming one of our lovely patrons. Once again, that's patreon.com memcard. And if you think about it, if you become a patron, you'll never have to hear this ad again. <laughs> How sad. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to hear us out. Let's get back to the show. One of the reasons that Keita really wanted to create Kanamari Damashi was to kind of break away from the, uh, the sequelization of the video game industry and make something new and fresh. But after Kanamari Damashi's uh, surprise success, Namco was like, Hey Keita, we really like that Kanamari tile. Why don't you make another one? <laughs> <laughs> we need a sequel. You're going to make it for us. And so uh, he, he started working on uh, We Love Katamari, which uh, tells the backstory of, of the king of all cosmos. That's my favorite one, to be honest. Oh, yeah. I think of all the Katamari games, I think that's, that's the one I think that, that's like, it's the right, I don't know, it's like peak wackiness. They got the controls a little more, you know, a little tighter, I would say. And uh, there's just a lot of really fun levels. Yeah, it's, there's like the snowman level, right? Where you're like mm -hmm. rolling up snow. Right. And there's one where there's like a campfire and you have to get like so much wood to like burn. They definitely were like playing around more with some of the concepts like, the, you know, what can we turn into a big ball? Mm -hmm. So after uh, We Love Katamari, he started working on this other game called Nobi Nobi Boy, which uh, eventually would be released in 2009. With Nobi Nobi Boy, Namco didn't really give Keita a lot of money or resources to actually develop the game. And so he, he got really, really frustrated during the game's development. And that's the one for the PlayStation Portable, right? That's for the PlayStation 3 as a download title. And then eventually it would be released to iOS and Android. Oh. So for Nobi Nobi Boy, it's a really, it's kind of a difficult game to explain because it's a, it's a game about stretching and de-stretching at its core. and you're, you're stretching this character called Boy, and as you stretch and de-stretch, the amount that you um, stretch and de-stretch is contributed to the growth of Girl, who is an interstellar being who uh, is traveling the universe. So as players uh, stretch and de-stretch, Girl is, is getting longer and longer and longer, and she's able to visit new planets. Mm. The interesting thing is that it's, it was completely web-based, or uh, internet base, so everyone was working together to have Girl reach the end of the universe, and it took two thousand four hundred eighty-nine days uh, since the, uh, from the game's release to actually have Girl reach the end of the universe because they 
made the dis- distance between planets the actual real-life distance between those planets. Oh, wow. It, it took a really long time, and because Nobi Nobi Boy wasn't super, super popular, they ended up making the iOS and Android version, uh, which allowed people to kind of stretch and de-stretch on their own device in order to contribute to that um, total length. Yeah, and they also made like certain bonus days, like where it would be like ten times as much and stuff like that. And then they also released a patch which allowed multiplayer and uh, fart noises uh, into the game. <laughs> Very important. Does Nobi Nobi mean something in Japanese? So Nobi Nobi, no Nobi is like relaxing or or like like as is. So it has like a double meaning. So what does it mean normally? It means stretch. Stretch and relax, yeah. Okay, so it's like stretching and relaxing. Yeah, it's like a extend. So it's All like right. ex- extending and then um, also like relax. It has this like feeling of relaxing or... I can dig it. Nobi Nobi Boy wasn't that successful of a game. And that's when, you know, between the fr- frustration of, the, of that game's development, Keita was just kind of like, I'm, I'm done with the, the games industry. So he, he kind of left for a bit. And um, he got approached by Woodthrop Range uh, for Nottingham United Kingdom to start designing a playground. So Kato, you know, because he has this his, uh, history with sculpting, uh, he kind of made a name for himself uh, already with uh, Kanamari and Nobi Nobi Boy. Uh, he's, he's really wanted to go into space. Uh, he wa- really wanted to go into playground design. And he created these concepts where it wasn't just kids that could play, but the whole family could play, like even dogs and cats. So he was like trying to make these, uh, these uh, rides or, or whatever that, that everyone, the whole family could enjoy. Yeah, that's interesting. That's, uh, that's quite a bold direction to go, I guess. Yeah, but unfortunately, because of budgeting issues, the project completely fell through. Oh man, that stinks. After that, he was without a job kind of thing. but. In 2011, there would be this uh, game that started that's called Glitch. And Glitch was a a browser-based MMORPG that was uh, published by a company called TinySpec. And the game was originally designed by Stuart Butterfield, who was known for co-starting Flickr. Butterfield and his team, they made this game called Glitch, and it would launch in 2011. And the game was basically uh, around these players collecting and gathering materials and crafting things hmm. in order to just exist in this space. Uh, the game story was about these 11 gods created everything with their thoughts and you'd go and gather materials and interact with other players and it was a pretty positive feel-good experience. Yeah, it's definitely one that I've never played of his. Unfortunately, the game would, would be shut down in 2012. So it lasted a little over a year there was a lot of improvements during the time that the game was launched. Uh, he was kind of brought in on the middle of it. I don't think he started Glitch. I think he was kind of added to the team afterwards. Oh, I see. Since then, he was floating around. He was doing these other titles called, like, uh, he did one that was like Enya Wanya Teens. Does that mean anything? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just like a fun name. So Tenya Wanya Teens is a game. It's like a exhibit game. So it's not like a console game or anything like that. There's like a dedicated controller and everything to it. It has all these buttons, and uh, each button does a certain action. Hmm. So like there's a button to pee. There's a button to uh, shout. There's a button to swing a sword and stuff like that. And you're getting 
placed in different scenarios and you have to remember what button does what Mm. you know if you're in the shower you have to like scrub your head but like if you're you know getting punched by someone and you you go to scrub your head it results in these really awkward situations (laughs) so it has its own controller it has its own controller wow and it was kind of toured around a little bit yeah it seems like more of an art piece than an actual game yeah not that video games can't be art i think we've already had that conversation yes and then also at, uh, around the same time, he made this game called Alphabet, which is uh, every single letter was its own button, was its own character. So like 20, up to 26 people could play. And that was also like very similar, like uh, Tenya One had team. Oh, so you had to have like a special controller for it as well? Yeah, it, not, not console release. Oh. Hmm. So yeah, during this time, he, he's just doing a lot of art pieces or uh, I, th- I, I still think they're video games like in the traditional sense even. They're just games that you had to go and play at a museum, usually. Later, uh, he would get contracted by the Museum of Art and Design. And uh, it was also sponsored by Baby Castle's Summit. And he wanted to come up with different ways to play classic video games. And this was back in, I think, 2013 Mm. as well. And so uh, one of the ideas that he had was um, playing Pac-Man that is uh, displayed all across the room. That would be fun. <laughs> so it, using a fisheye lens, the whole pack maze is, is on, diff- on the walls and the ceiling, and you can like actually move from the walls to the ceiling. So once again, kind of more of an interactive uh, art piece than... Yeah. There was a, another game where you would you, you'd use like a, basically like a ball to like shoot out a Hadouken in uh, Street Fighter 2, <laughs> and it would use like motion capturing. So, like, you would throw the ball at the person, and then it would, like, Hadouken in the game. There was another game that was called Side Scroller, which um, I think was R-Type, but it was played across 20 different monitors in a room. So players had to literally run across the room um, as they, like, got to the end of the screen. And then there was also another one that um, used the classic uh, Mario Bros. You know, the, the, the ball game where you're, like, you have the marble, and you're trying to, like, move the box like thing and then there's like a marble and it's like a maze and you're like just moving the box around to try to get the marble oh yeah you have, you have like the little knobs on either side sometimes yeah sometimes you have knobs and stuff on the side so there was a mario mario bros game that was made using that to control thanks yeah <laughs> <laughs> that sounds uh, challenging but it definitely sounds like something i would love to try yeah so yeah making a lot of art pieces and stuff like that he also later made a, a thing called the Never Ever Quest with I Am 8-Bit. And it was like physical paper on like walls and it, it would be like an RPG that players would have to like read and follow through. And then in 2019, he actually had a museum exhibit at the Telfair Museum in Georgia. And uh, it was called Zooming Out with Keita Takahashi. And so a lot of uh, these pieces were once again put up uh, for the public, and Keita actually gave a talk during that uh, opening show to talk about his own history. And that was, like, here in America, right? Yeah, so, yeah. He, he was, uh, he moved to America after Glitch. Oh, okay. Because Glitch, he, he was living in uh, Canada. So, he, he kind of lived in uh, Japan, then to UK, <laughs> then to Canada, and now, now the United States. He's a world traveler. He's a world traveler. In 2019, his latest game, Wattam, was actually released. 
And that game was actually inspired by Keita, uh, Keita's movement all across the world. Oh, there you go. When he moved to Canada, he was, for Glitch, he was really, really impressed with how many different kinds of people there are. And even though that people all speak different languages, that everyone is um, the same in the end, and that we can all be friends. Oh, I see. Yeah, I've, I've played Watam, or Watam, or however you pronounce it. I, I think I picked it up like mm-hmm. the day it came out. Didn't really click with me as much as some of his other stuff, but it was, it's definitely a very unique and uh, silly game. Yeah, Watam is like a game about holding hands and making friendships, I think is, is how he pitches it. You're like trying to connect mm-hmm. like the rain cloud with the flower so that the rain, rain could like open the flower, right? Right, yeah. There's like, there's different, you know, like you got to get the acorn into the hole and then it makes a tree and the tree, you know, shakes off some new item and there's all these other items. There's all these like worlds that connect to your world and you can like chain them together. It's, it's an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. When Glitch ended, he moved to uh, San Francisco and um, he felt kind of bad at the time because uh, he saw a lot of homelessness in the city. Because, like, he's like, I, I have this job making video games, which is really unnecessary, but there's people out on the street. So he wanted to create something that was, um, that really brought people together, and uh, that's where Wetum came. We're all the same, and we should all be friends. Wetum was uh, initially going to be published by Sony, but unfortunately, uh, Sony dropped it. And so it had a long development time, actually. And then eventually it would get picked up by uh, Annapurna Interactive. In between Wadham's development, he actually worked on this AR game for Google called World, <laughs> which is also kind of similar to Wadham in some ways, where you would like place objects and they would interact with each other. How long was it between when he announced the game and when it actually came out? Do you know? Uh, Wadham was initially revealed in 2014. Oh, wow. So like five years. Yeah. And then it was picked up again in 2017. And then it finally released in 2019. And then it finally released in the 2019. So now uh, Keita Takahashi is working on a new project for the Playdate. It's a, it's a new handheld console that's coming out by uh, Panic. It's got a little crank on the side, right? Yeah, it's got a little crank on the side. It's like very nice yellow, like smooth design. And I think that's his next project. I'm pretty sure his focus is the crank part of it, too. It's called uh, Cranklin's Adventure, as far as I can remember. Yeah, it's like a story or, or like a little RPG or something like that, I think. Yeah, I think, I think it like you control the uh, flow of time or something. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of fun that, that he's like committed to making a game for such a weird little handheld. But then again, it seems exactly like something he would do. Yeah. I, don't know, I think Keita's philosophy uh, is really interesting where you have all these things going on in life and everything, but he still tries to be positive and still tries to contribute really positive things to the world. Yeah. And if you don't follow him on Twitter and you're on Twitter, I would highly recommend it. He's he's pretty funny. He likes to post lots of like little bits of art, you know, from himself or his kids or things that he sees around. Mm-hmm. He's a goofy guy. Yeah, um, I think like at one point, like Twitter was going to verify him. But then, like, he changed his name to, like, Keita Takahashi is dead or something like that. So that way, like, he wouldn't be verified anymore. Man, what a Keita Takahashi move. I actually met him once at um, Bit Summit. 
Um, it was like in the press area, mm. and I I approached him. I was like, "Oh, you're you're Keita Takahashi," and he's like, he was just kind of like slumped over the desk, and he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Who told you? And I was like, "Oh, thanks." You know, I really enjoyed uh, Karmari and Nobi Nobi Boy, and he's just like, "Are you here to interview me?" And I'm like, "No." He's like, "Oh, thank God." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does seem a little apathetic. As much as he's kind of a goofball, he does, you know, he's kind of a, a mopey guy. <laughs> I, I, I think he, he just, like, he has this, like, uh, notion about the video game industry where it's, like, you know, somewhat fake in some parts or something. I, I can respect that. <laughs> I wasn't offended or anything like that. I thought it was hilarious. And then he rolled you up into a ball and, and pushed you away. Yes. Because that's what he does. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by talented chiptune composer Jamatar. You can find more of his bangin' beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting jamatar.com. If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter, at MemCardShow. Or you can visit our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow Ben and I, we can be found at SuperBentendo and at PushDustin, respectively. Have you considered supporting Memory Card on Patreon? If not, we hope you will. Currently, we're supported by quite a few awesome people, all of which get access to early, ad-free episodes. These fine people include Jackson Bertoli, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Courtney Cotton, Harrison, Tyler Davis, Jose Acosta, Jorge Bajija, Manuel Vitella, Ray Schneider, Nick Callis, and Shala. All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com slash memcard. We'll be back really soon with some more gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you soon.